Leverton College in Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. My name is Nevea, and my co-hosts today are Michael, Clay, Forso, Mushi, and Isan. Our special, our special guest today is Fred Rubenstein. Welcome, Fred. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, okay, our first question for you today is, when did you start and what prompted you into gambling? I started gambling the first time I ever ex- had an experience or dance or taste of gambling was actually when I was nine. I was a kid and my dad was living in the Eureka Tower at the time. My parents were separated and we were watching the 2006 grand final in the cinema room of the Eureka Tower. It was West Coast versus Sydney and West Coast won by a point. And I remember there was an older guy walking around with a hat and it was with Norm Smith bets. Like you put in coins and you get out the Norm Smith medalist, you take two or three. And I had Andrew Embley and he won. And I remember how happy that made me and that lit me up like a Christmas tree. So that was the first taste I ever had with gambling. And then there was other informal ones like scratchies when I was 12. Um, But I'd say I started gambling regularly when I was 14. And yeah, it started with five or $10 because that's all I had access to at the time. Became $10, $20, $50 as I got older throughout school. Became convincing mom to have an account in her name. Became, yeah, my inheritance after school. Okay. Good question. Hi, Fred. I'm Michael. How did the relationship with your dad influence you when it came to gambling? Hey, Michael. Uh, it influenced me a lot. Yeah, a lot. But as I'm getting older, I realized that the, a lot of the influence was subconscious. You know, I didn't consciously think to myself, oh, my dad gambled, so I'm going to gamble and try and be like him. I think it was subconscious. One, it was that, yeah, that was a normalized behavior growing up. And, you know, you you watch that and it's kind of like the natural evolution that sometimes, you know, like father, like son. Uh, another one was that I really have the, the personality, the mindset of a gambler um, in that I have, you know, I'm very excitable. Um, I especially young, I didn't have good impulse control and I still struggle with it, to be honest. Um, But yeah, it influenced me a lot. Also the fact that I lost my dad when I was 13 and, you know, obviously he was a semi-professional gambler. I think subconsciously it was a connection to him. You know, it's not something I was thinking, I want to try and connect with him now that he's gone. It was a subconscious connection to him. And like I said, also the, the personality and the mindset that just overlapped and it just fit like a glove. Unfortunately, uh, good question. So looking back at your dad, do you consider him more of a gambler after you went through everything? Consider him more of a gambler? Yeah, gambler, yeah. Um, I think he, I think he's the same as I've always seen him in the sense that he was a gambler. I don't think he was a problem with gambler because I think the distinction for me anyway, and if you have a problem or if you're experiencing gambling harm between you know, you know, socially acceptable or not unhealthy gambling, let's say, is if you have control. And I think my dad had control. You know, he he was very high functioning. He had he was a mathematician and a businessman and he'd done well for himself. So it wasn't really looked down upon. And that was actually one of the things that made it harder. It was because he was such a good mathematician, because he was a well-respected businessman. It was like really, I felt a lot of shame that I wasn't those things you know I wasn't nearly as good as him 
with the mathematical stuff. I have a little bit of that, but nowhere near to the extent that he did. Um, I didn't have any self-control and he had very good self-control. So that actually made it harder. The fact that he was somewhat a, a self-contained, you know, self-managed gambler. And I, and I wasn't, and I, and I, I was completely out of control when I finished school and I had access to that massive inheritance of like $225,000. So it was just really, really, yeah, it was really, really hard. And I didn't realize at the time, but the only way for me to get out and to get through was to get help. And I'm really happy and lucky that I did do that eventually. Hi, Hi, I'm Poso. The question is, what was your mindset when you stole money for your mom? Hi, Poso. That's a really good question. And yeah, that's a, not an easy one. <laughs> not an easy one to answer. And not a, a proud period of time for me. Uh, my mindset was I'm really entitled and like it's my money and I just want to gamble and, you know, I know how to do it, you know, because I became a really good practice liar and thief. And yeah, my mindset was, you know, what's hers is mine because they grew up really spoiled and entitled and privileged. And, you know, I still am. And that was my mindset was I can just take it because I'm entitled and I want to gamble. So that was pretty much it. And yeah, when you're in that mindset, guys, of you're just consumed by gambling, you know, my whole life became about gambling when I finished school. And all I wanted to do at that time was gamble. And the only way I saw out of it was to gamble. So that, yeah, that was really, really hard. And that's something that I'm still really not proud of that, you know, I stole from her multiple times. But in another sense, it was my way through because after, let's say, the third time I stole from her, the first two times, you know, I got away with it. And that was another part of my mindset was I can get away with this because my mom is soft and free-spirited and wild like me, whereas my dad was a strict disciplinarian and losing him, I lost a lot of those boundaries. But I knew I could get away with it. And the third time I saw a side of my mom I'd never seen, which was that if I if I stole from her again, she was going to call the police. And I knew she was serious. And, you know, I, I panicked. I, I shot myself. And that's kind of really selfish that it took me or took, you know, that for that to happen for me to change. You know, I was willing to harm everyone around me until I felt, you know, that self-preservation kick in. All right, it's, it's if I keep gambling, then I'm going to go to jail. Well, that was my motivator to change. And even though I'm not proud that I stole from my mom, I am refle on reflection. I think that was helped me get towards my rock bottom and the way she reacted, which was to disable me eventually rather than enable, which is essential. Um, she disabled my addiction, my compulsion. That was yeah fundamental in my, my recovery journey. And just on that, my rock bottom, that moment wasn't the last day I gambled, but it was the day I decided, I just decided I want to be someone else. I want to do something else with my life. I want to invest in my recovery journey. And that created a positive momentum the other direction. Great question. Yeah. Sorry, guys. If you guys are just tuning in, you're listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM, live from Leverton College in Le Melbourne, Australia. My name is Nevea, and my co-hosts today are Michael, Clay, Horso, Mushi, and 
a song. Our special guest today is Fred Rubenstein. Over to that song. I, I myself. How much you spend for gambling? Uh, spend, spend is a funny, funny word. Um, I lost, I lost, uh, probably two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And yeah, the way the reason I, I I reacted a little bit comically to spent is you don't get anything back. But um, I think what I got was a really expensive lesson. Yeah. Good question. Questions are still on. What did you gamble on? Everything. Started on footy and soccer, which I grew up knowing and loving, and became casino, became blackjack, baccarat, roulette, poker, um, horses, dogs, which was something that I was never interested in or didn't know anything about because I just lost control. So um, online casinos, which are really bad and really dangerous, I think the only thing I really never really got into was pokies because I liked more interactive, you know, hands-on games. Um, but yeah, I just, it started as just a habit and then it became a complete out of control compulsion. I was a compulsive gambler, which means that it was like, yeah, it was an obsession is one. The obsession is here. And then the compulsion is the behavior. And I am still an obsessive person and I'm actually okay with that about myself, but now I'm an obsessive educator, you know, now I'm an obsessive soccer coach. Now I'm obsessive with taking care of my mental health. So it was just that gambling fit my personality and, and mental profile and my, you know, my trauma experiences losing dad and grinding through school fit like a glove. And that's the kind of person that I really want to advocate for because as I told you guys earlier, <laughs> I'm someone who, who learns the hard way, but it's better if you can avoid learning the hard way. If you offered me the money back, I'd take it. So it's better not to go through that extreme to learn something yeah, that other people might say is basic. Yeah, Good question. What was the structure of your life like at your worst point of gambling? Oh, yeah, the structure was be at the casino anywhere from like 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Then I would sleep from like 8 a.m. to like 4 p.m. Then I'd go get dinner around 6 p.m. to 8 a.m. with friends. Um, often go to a pub and bet like two, three, four grand, lose them on the horses and the dogs, which I didn't know anything about, but I just completely lost control by then. I'd go from there to the casino and usually by myself, I'd be there from like 10 p.m. to like 6 a.m. or 8 a.m. Um, and there I would almost always lose. I'd probably win one in 10, one in eight maybe. Um, and I'd lose around four or five grand a night because I was a max cash withdrawal and the casino only accepted cash. Um, and I would be two grand before midnight, two grand after midnight because it was a two grand cash withdrawal maximum um and then i would go home and sleep and start again so that was my cycle for 2015 as and i'm sure you can imagine it was really unhealthy i put on a lot of weight my mental health was a disaster i was very depressed and anxious and yeah it was just horrific and unfortunately for me it took that rock bottom moment of 
feeling from my mom to pivot and start creating a positive momentum in the other way. And I could only pivot when I had that moment and I felt everything and they're like, all right, now I need to change because I don't like this. I don't want to be this guy. If I keep being this guy, I'm going to jail. If I keep doing this, I'm going to jail. And the reason I'm so big on this point, guys, is because that was my rock bottom. I am lucky that that was my rock bottom. I am lucky that my debt was to my mom, not some loan shark who's going to come and break my legs, break my arms. I am lucky that my rock bottom was, even though I'd stolen from my mom and you know I come from a well-resourced family, that she could still take me to high-level psychiatric support and pay for it and was willing to do that after everything I'd done to her. I am lucky. Not everyone has that. Some people's rock bottom with gambling is suicide. Some people's is you know embezzlement and they go to jail. Some people get just ostracized from the family. They get shunned and they never come back. So I am lucky. And that is one of the main things that drives me to be here today talking to you is I feel a responsibility and privilege with that luck to share my story and to share that information that not everyone's rock bottom is you can pivot. Some can be fatal. And mm-hmm. the only reason that mine wasn't is because I am lucky. I had an amazing support network and I just had a lot of good people and friends in my life. So yeah, I am really lucky to be sitting here because a lot of people are still sitting there. Hi, I'm Mushi. What motivated you to stop gambling? To stop? Yeah, it was what I was saying was the third time I stole from my mom, she said, if you do it again, I'll call the police and press charges against you and you'll go to jail basically because I've been stealing. And then I was like, oh, no, no, I'm done with this now, you know, because I think it's very easy as a gambler. The more pain you feel, the more anxiety and stress, the more you gamble. That's like, you know, like a dog goes outside to take a, a piss and, 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 and this behavior triggers that behavior. That's how it is with a gambler or like any human, you know, the more stress and anxiety, the more I'd run away and gamble. But it was when I was disabled that if you keep gambling, if you keep going outside, if you keep doing this behavior, then this is going to happen. You're going to go to jail. My self-preservation kicked in. Oh, no, that's really bad. And now I need to stop. And actually it wasn't the last day I gambled because, you know, even though I made that decision, I was still a compulsive gambler. But it was the, the day I decided to invest in my recovery journey, to invest in my psychiatric journey and to try and become someone else. And now, yeah, probably a year after that moment, I got my first job and before and after school care, became teacher's aide, became therapy assistant, was soccer coaching the whole time, became part-time soccer coaching, and now I'm a full-time youth soccer coach. and. Eventually, I think I'll get back into that therapy and um, the therapies assisting and that stuff. But my point is it created a positive momentum the other way. And for me, I had to hit that rock bottom. There was no other way. There was nothing anyone could have said to me because I'm that strong, that strong in my mindset and um, my behaviors and my personality. I just, nothing anyone could have said to me could have stopped me until I hit that rock bottom. That's not the way for everyone necessarily. Some people <laughs> can maybe be a little bit more rational or self-controlled than I can. But yeah, I had I had an addiction, guys. I had a complete obsession and compulsion with gambling. So there was nothing that was going to stop me but that wasn't extreme. You know, sometimes it takes extreme measures to stop extreme behaviors. 
So how was saving money since spending so much? <laughs> that is one of the best questions I've ever gotten. And I, I think that's the first time I've gotten that question. And this was what, probably like what, the 15th? But Ralph, yeah, wow, great question. Really good question. I struggle a lot. I struggle a lot because, and, and still now, but I'm getting better at it. The first few years after gambling, I still treated money. And even recently, I still treated money like I did when I was gambling. It wasn't going to gambling. It was just money in, money out. And I've never been good at holding money, you know, controlling my impulses and just, you know, saving, thinking long-term. Um, and I'd, yeah, after gambling, I'd kind of been like, oh, money's not that important. You know, like, there's other things in life. So that's a really good question. And that's a really hard thing that I still struggle with. And that's not something that leaves you when you stop gambling, that suddenly I'm a master with money. It's the opposite. You know, I need to completely rebuild my relationship with money. And that's something I'm still struggling with. And I'm lucky that I have amazing support in that space. I have a friend, um, George Philopoulos, my best friend, was there for me the whole time. And he helps me with my money. He's an amazing financial guy. Um, he works in the financial industry and he helps me. I can still, you know, the money still goes to me and my accounts are still mine. But I'll be honest, if, if, if it wasn't for his help and the help of some others, um, I, w- I would really struggle. Because, yeah, I've, I've struggled with um, managing money even still. Great question. Okay, thank you. That's all we have time for today. Thank you to our guest, Fred. It's been a great pleasure talking to you today. Live from Leverton College in Melbourne, Australia, you have been listening to our Gambling Harm podcast on Live FM. My name is Nevea and my co-hosts today were Michael, Clay, Porso, Mushi and Isan. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you have found the information useful. Until next time, have a great day. Thanks for that. Well done, guys. How did life get so hard? All you want to do is go back to the start and take another shot.